passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh man, I can't believe his will. His spirit to win, to fight, to compete is overwhelming. But right now, Moxie's got the upper hand. He may be one paradigm shift away from winning this war. And I mean damn war. Oh, no! The elevated paradigm shift! Oh, baby, one, on two, three! Both up! Moxie wins it! Moxie wins his war tonight with Kenny Omega. The winner of this match, Joe Moxie! You gotta believe that the war with John Moxley and himself will rage on. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to Post Wrestling's AEW Full Gear Post Show. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, the man of a thousand filters, and here we are to provide no filter as we review AEW Full Gear. I just caught John with a with a cat filter for the first time on Instagram, so I'm very proud of myself. I just walked Right into these things. I was like, uh, just my head just went right into Way's uh, metaphorical paradigm shift. And it just blasted me on oh. to exposed wood, God. sending it out to the whole well, world. Well, you know, we have to lighten up the mood, certainly. After that main event, after that match, um, I, I definitely I thought felt, you needed a cigarette after that main you event. You know, I felt a certain tension for like a good 37 minutes at the end there. So I think a little dog filter or cat filter was in order. Well, welcome, everybody, to the post show. We are going to be going through all of AEW's full gear event and then opening up to the phone lines. Uh, This is one of our pay-per-view post shows. So to all the double-double ice cap and espresso members of the cafe, welcome and thank you for joining us tonight. Yes, thank you, everybody, for uh, uh, joining us maybe a little bit later than we expected. Um, We expected this show to end at 11.30 p.m., didn't we? It went a bit bit longer than that. Where, when did we get off the air? Around eleven forty? Thirty seven, maybe like thirty eight. Yeah. Okay, that's perhaps eh, not too wow. Too it's far way off. later than I thought. So sorry about that, everybody. But no, uh, here it's we all, all uh, we we are here, and now we have uh, a whole entire show to go through. And I guess looking today, way uh, we talked about this on Rewind to SmackDown. But uh, where did you feel things were like this afternoon? Your overall interest in this show, and compared to other big AEW shows. Which have been able to kind of keep that that big event feel for their big shows. Admittedly, I think you know some of the previous AEW shows. Um, I've been excited for those ones because of I think the lack of appearances of people like Kenny Omega and and the Young Bucks. Um, but this one was different because we see these characters every single week now. So does the overexposure affect it or does it affect it pos- positively? Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself definitely excited for, for tonight's show. I thought it was a really strong card on paper. I think talking more about it with you made me more excited about it. Listening to more interviews with people involved with it made me more excited. So I was, for me personally, pretty high 
Yeah, I was going into this show. I was certainly, I was very intrigued by how they were going to book the Chris Jericho Cody match. I thought that was really, um, a really intrigued, like that felt like a big main event title match that they had. And the rest, um, yeah, you had your solid, very good card. I wouldn't say I, I think that my interest level was at the level of some of, uh, of the, the previous big shows, uh, of course, all in, all out, double or nothing. Uh, but this was on paper; it still looked like a very good show. But I think my interest was mainly focused on that title match uh, because I could have seen it going a lot of different ways, and how the audience would take to Cody coming off that promo on Wednesday, and just where he is overall. It just seems that he's clicking on all cylinders as a babyface. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of um, just setting the table here for full gear. And we tuned in for the pre-show, and they were very smart in using the first half hour to re-air the countdown special in case people had missed it. And I thought that was very smart. We did not need an hour of interviews and in-arena footage. They had promoted one match. That could be taken up in a half-hour chunk, and they used the first half hour for that countdown special. And that, to me, was way more effective than anything they could have done in the arena or with any backstage interviews. I'll certainly say by the end of this, I don't think there's anybody complaining that that kickoff show was only half an hour, only featured one match. That is never a complaint. Uh, I thought I agreed with There you. was no fat on the pre-show. Nope, nope. Um, in fact, like if you remember, a lot of AEW's cr- big, biggest criticisms came in the form of... The whatever they decide to put on through the pre-show that ultimately just kind of weakened the whole experience. This was them putting their best stuff, the things that I think, you know, stood the best chance of getting you to buy this pay-per-view if you were on the fence about it. And that was that excellent countdown show that I don't know how many people really ended up seeing, but thankfully they put that up here. So I think a lot of people did certainly like this type of storytelling um, would do a whole lot more to sell this pay-per-view than some random undercard match could. Absolutely. I like I've always looked at that as it is that really a driver for you seeing some random matches that I I don't know if that's really going to spike my interest like that countdown special. I think if you watch that, if you're not interested, then after watching that, then this card really is not for you. Yeah. And I I think it was a great tool to uh, air here. So before we get into the matches, oh, we, we yes. do have a sponsor for this particular uh, uh, review, uh, this post show. This week, we are again proudly sponsored by our friends at the Grapple app, G-R-A-P-P-L, available for free on the App Store and Google Play. It's an app that lets you rate and see ratings for wrestling matches seen around the world, including all the matches tonight. So we, we will be going to our uh, Grapple ratings throughout the review uh, on this podcast. It gives you an idea. I am very much looking forward to some of these Grapple ratings tonight. I've, I've been largely off twitter so like i have no idea what people think uh, about these matches and yeah i'm curious myself but grapple is the app that uh it allows you to, to to get an idea of what everybody else is uh uh rating so you know what's worth watching and how your opinion stacks up against others this month grapple turns one Gareth, the app's creator, would like to thank everybody who has downloaded and rated through Grapple's many updates and improvements over the past year. One year in, Grapple has now amassed over 350,000 ratings across 20 promotions. And at the end of the year, Grapple wants us to let you know that they will be publishing the Grapple 100, which is a listing of the top 100 matches of the year by rating. So, uh, a caveat is that only matches with 50 or more ratings will be listed in this list. So, Ooh. so if you want recognition for a less mainstream favorite, 
Download the app and show your support by giving it a rating. Grapple will also be releasing the Grapple 50, which will rank the top 50 wrestlers of the year based on match ratings. So look out for that soon. And again, you can download Grapple right now for free. Just search for Grapple. No E at the end. G-R-A-P-P-L on the App Store or Google Play. And for more updates, follow at Grapple App on Twitter. G-R-A-P-P-L-A-P-P. Is, uh, is Benno going to have like a like a tuxedo and he's going to reveal like the, the top uh, the picks do the whole countdown like a, a formal celebra- uh, ceremony you know I could, certainly couldn't figure out a better place to give out these awards than the Grapple Spotlight hosted by Argert van Benno and, and, and his compatriots as well so uh, I would expect a full I would expect a red carpet I would expect an invite you know the whole the whole thing it should be a big big celebration yeah. yes okay well uh thank you to our friends at grapple and we'll be checking in throughout the night to see what the we, what the grapple community had to uh say about all of these matches we have eight to go through on this show on the buy-in pre-show after the countdown special we get to see a familiar face but uh one that has not been uh well was we got to see on AEW dark recently and he was brought back here taz who -hmm. was calling the pre-show with excalibur and the golden boy and interestingly enough it would be uh the golden boy only utilized for the pre-show i thought that they would keep with the three-man booth for the main show but it was jim ross excalibur calling the pay-per-view proper yeah i thought so too i thought it would be uh golden boy at least making his way to to the end but um I was surprised to see Taz as well. What did you think of his uh, commentary? I liked having Taz in here. I, to me, like I, as I've stated, I'm not keeping up with AEW Dark, but one of the the biggest uh, interests I have is the rotating commentators mm-hmm. that they have, and that's kind of an interesting part of AEW Dark of having different people just cycled in and wanting to hear how that person would adapt. You were very high on MJF doing commentary. Um, Next week, they got Chucky e. T with Excalibur, so reuniting that uh, oh, PWG. Wow, that would probably be a lot of fun, yeah. th- those two. That, uh, yeah, people will probably either love or hate that commentary team. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. So then we had our first, the promo uh, recapping this feud between B Priestley and Dr. Britt Baker. And this was the first time I had seen the Britt Baker promo from AEW Dark. Hands down, her finest work I have ever seen her do, uh, much less just in AEW. Fantastic promo outlining how B Priestley kicked her in the back of the head, saying she's not a professional, she doesn't respect her, and she committed the cardinal sin of not just injuring a wrestler, but not checking up on her afterward. Mm-hmm. B um Britt Baker was phenomenal here. Yeah. Like this is the Britt Baker that I mean she had a real life issue that she was able to attach this promo to and it was it was outstanding. Like this was a really great setup. It was the most personality she had shown in her run thus far. You know, I think she had uh we saw some pretty good stuff with her like at, in in Britsburg when they're in that video leading up to that. But this was by far the most fire I think she's shown as she was speaking. And you got to love any promo that works in the temporal mandibular joint. Yes. As a threat. Yes. She said she's going to uh, rip her jaw out. And yes, all these uh, these dental terms that would frighten me if I was... I would never want to fight a dentist that was going for my 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 mouth or oh. doing anything. With, like God knows what, what tricks of the trade they know. Like the dark science of... So, uh, dentistry out there yeah it's freaky dude oh yeah. i know yeah we've seen many evil dentists do, do you know how trustworthy that. you have to be for a dentist like they could look what they could do oh yeah they could numb they your could, mouth they could like 
screw up your vocal cords. They yeah. could they could do whatever they want. You are at their mercy. Those they spit, are very powerful people. Those spit suckers are powerful. No kidding, man. Like, <laughs> you thought that was fluoride? Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> this this bit is not working. Baker attempted the lockjaw early on, and the crowd reacted to the lockjawing uh, attempts. <laughs> not really sold on the name, but okay, whatever. And that's yeah, what they're going it's with. It's fine. Um, they explained that Baker is also battling the flu, so they really tried to give like a breakdown of how this will affect her breathing and her cardio. And That's worth mentioning. In MMA, they, they do that. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I, 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 sometimes it's... Uh, like, Do you remember when... Uh, Bret Hart lost the Intercontinental title, and they said he had a 104-degree fever. And that was, like, yes. a big deal. It's like, okay, that that's awful, man. Like, I've had a fever of 101, and it's 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 not fun. Mm-hmm. 104, that's, that's huge. I've had the flu. We've all had the flu. You know what I mean? I think it's something that it's uh, – I, I don't know if it's something that necessarily is going to get – but I, I like the fact that they tried to make it something. It here. is still a handicap nonetheless, right? Yes. Which Imagine I, running a marathon with the flu. Imagine losing to someone with the flu. Imagine getting the flu after a loss. Oh, imagine – yeah. Oh, man. Check up. I with hope that, she that, had her, Those hands in her mouth? I hope she has her flu God, shot. I doubt it. Uh, Baker hit this uh, sloppy-looking cutter, but then Priestley kicked out, used a crucifix, pair of suplexes, and then Priestley landed a foot stomp onto the edge of the apron. Uh, Priestley was going for the Queen's Landing, and Baker blocked it, hit a Canadian Destroyer, and after several attempts, each with a reaction from the crowd, she got the locked jaw applied, and Priestley immediately tapped at 11 minutes and 28 seconds. I would say that this was a telltale sign of the crowd we were going to hear for a good portion of this show that I felt for, I would say, 60% of the show, it was one where the crowd, it was, I don't want to say dead. This was definitely not Long Island. That would not be accurate. But mm-hmm. there were points of the show that you just felt they were not as lively that would have helped a lot of the matches. And in this, they really only reacted strongly to the lockjaw attempts and i thought maybe that's just the pre-show it's early in the in the night but it was it was a struggle up until i would say like midway through the cody match when he nearly died yeah you know anytime i think we we hear a a pretty quiet crowd on tv again like it's it's kind of up to myself to ask is it the product in the ring or is it the audience and i was trying to just like judge what i was seeing in the ring certainly by the end of this show seeing some of the the excellent content that i think this show was producing it became pretty evident that it was either the crowd or it was the miking of the crowd that were some of the issues. Well, we we heard this crowd very loud in those final two matches, so I don't think it was so much a miking issue. But at the same time, I don't want to paint this as like a dead crowd, mainly for the sake of the the messages that I'm going to receive after. It's because... also it's also the comparison of previous AEW crowds, and you know even like the the weakest edition of Dynamite thus far has had benefited from tremendous audience reactions. Yep, and, and this... that becomes part of the product. I I assume associate that like that's a big part i think of the appeal is these these boisterous crowds that i think mm-hmm. lift everything up that much more so and, and baltimore certainly seemed lacking in, in comparison so um, what do you think of the match i thought it was average at best i thought it looked really loose a little bit sloppy compared i think to the standard of, of the rest of the roster in highlight form i feel like they executed enough like flashy looking moves to make it look like it was a big match but I, technically, I think it left a little to be desired. Yeah, it didn't leave a strong impression on me. It was a match where after it was done, I think people might remember the lockjaw finish. But by the time the show would be over, this would be a distant memory of the night. Grapple rates this one 2.48 out of 5. 
Awesome Kong entered alongside Brandy Rose in the new presentation for Brandy, and they laid out B. Priestley and then brought out a knife. And I thought that we were maybe going to get um, a preview of the main event. Yeah, it looked like it. But what she did was cut off a piece of B. Priestley's hair and then Kong like sniffed it. And yeah, it seemed that if you are bringing in Kong, it would almost seem like you would want to put her with Baker, but instead she attacked the heel in B Priestley. I was a little confused that she would, you're right. Like not just attack the, the, the heel, but also attack the loser of the match. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting the sense that she's going to be collecting, you know, scalps, I suppose, like, or at least locks of hair from everybody on the roster. And she's starting off with B Priestley, who is already in a weakened state. I just, I don't, I, I this was something, a, a section of the show that I felt was met with silence and I wasn't so sure that it had anything to do with, you know, the miking of the crowd or anything because I think they're leading a little too far into this horror movie stuff with Awesome Kong and Brandy. Like we've talked about in our reviews, it is totally out of character with no context, even though we've seen both of them before. Not like this. It's like, it's to me part of the same issue with the Dark Order that they're trying too hard to be these like, I don't know, stereotypical horror movie villains. And especially it comes really out of place with Kong and, and, and Brandy Rhodes. Um, it didn't work for Dark Order, and this really did not work for me either. Yeah, it, it was not met with, like, a big reaction, nor is it a direction like Kong and B Priestley that is going to get that, oh, this is really cool. This is our next uh, step for these two. I think it was just kind of met with indifference. So uh, that was the buy-in. The strongest part of the buy-in outside of the countdown was Britt Baker's promo, which technically wasn't part of the show, but mm-hmm. was still my highlight of this pre-show. On to the show itself, Jim Ross is introduced to call the show with with Excalibur. I, I thought at times, you know, I sometimes we rag on like the three man team. I thought they kind of were missing a third man at different points where that they I think have become comfortable to lean on that third voice for just a different perspective or just mm-hmm. for them to kind of get their thoughts in order. I thought that was noticeable on this one. I miss Tony Schiavone on this show, even having Golden Boy there. I, I've had no issues with with Golden Boy as the third man either. I think that this uh, broadcast at times um, missed that third voice. I think for all of you know our, our the community's complaints about three man booths overtaking professional wrestling. Um, I certainly preferred, you know, the iteration of this team with Shivani or with Golden Boy than what we just got here. Not that this was bad, but I think they're better as a three-man team with one of those other very capable men. I think also that, you know, I I know that a lot of broadcasters will say, like, the three-man booth is not very easy to do. But for the fan perspective, it's mainly an indictment of the WWE three-man team that Mm -hmm. I think kind of sours people on just the notion of three people in general and... I mean, we can see the WWE setting. That's a very tough one to uh, grade when comparing to outside WWE, where I've seen very few complaints about the three-man team in AEW, mm-hmm. uh, for instance. It adds, like, a, a, another energy to it, you know? Yeah. And, and in some ways kind of bridges the gap between JR and Excalibur, which can be a little bit, maybe a little too different sometimes. Yeah, and Shivani had um, what one of his uh, sporting commitments Saturday, so that's why he was not here. Santana and Ortiz versus the Young Bucks opened the show, and they showed the Rock and Roll Express sitting in the front row, and Jim Ross was going over the history in this building, uh, including superstar Billy Graham beating Bruno San Martino in April of 1977 for the WWF title. 
Uh, Santana and Ortiz did this combination camel clutch and Boston crab while Santana had Nick on his back with the gory special. And so they had the advantage on Nick for a while. And it led to the spot where Nick was on the apron and went for a running kick, missed, and he kicked the post. And this, uh, it looked really effective and became the focus of the match with Nick having an, an injured leg, which would affect a lot of his offense and, of course, the super kick as well. So eventually, Nick is able to make the big tag to Matt. He comes in. Um, this was following uh, Matt being thrown into the crowd right near Ricky and Robert and also Santana blowing his nose in their direction. So when Matt did get the hot tag, he hit these rolling Northern Lights suplexes and that spot got over huge with the mm-hmm. fans. That looked really cool because he was doing it to both of them. Uh, Santana and Ortiz, they regained the advantage. A sweet a street sweeper was avoided. Then the Bucks super kicked Ortiz from behind. And then Santana came off with a Cabrada and he was super kicked in midair. And yes, Nick is able to get these super kicks off. But then Matt, I guess sensing that his brother's leg is magically healed, called for the Meltzer driver. And Nick goes for the springboard and he slips and he falls down holding the leg. And Matt gets sent to the corner. And Nick still tagged himself in moments later. He wanted to stand up to them. Nick spits his gum at Santana, who took the gum and put it into his mouth. Disgusting. Disgusting. I mean, I know the goal is always to just get a reaction, and this certainly got a reaction. But, man, I would get a dentist to check your mouth out. Oh, I'm sure Britt Baker was just disgusted by this this behavior so matt then gets thrown into the post and then santana and ortiz have the advantage on nick and hit the street sweeper pinning him in 21 minutes um i thought this was a very good match i thought nick's performance was really strong um i guess you can nitpick the selling of the leg when you're including the the super kicks at various points but he did sell anytime i think he you know, use the leg at length as if he was gutting it out, that type of thing. And I think the idea was, okay, he went for broke with these super kicks and then he did crash and burn at the end because of the damage that he inflicted on himself Mm -hmm. as well. It was a slower, you know, more psychology-based match for for these teams than we've seen uh, presently on TV. And I found this one interesting because it's usually Matt that we've seen, you know, selling the body part with the lower back. And this time it was Nick. I think Matt is better in the role if we have to make comparisons, but I think Nick did a good job. Honestly, I was a little bit disappointed by this match. And I don't know if this was maybe when the crowd crowd's energy started to hit me, but I I I I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't think it was great. And I was expecting, you know, I had very high expectations for this one. There were moments where I think certain things they were doing weren't really clicking. Um I thought Nick's shin, shin injury started off well, but then I think focus started to be taken away from it throughout the match and and then overall, the crowd's energy just felt lacking for many moments. And I don't know if I really felt a really great build into the climax of it. It seemed like the the Northern Lights sequence really got the crowd into things, but it was, you know, the Bucks were really trying to, you know, lift up this crowd. I think they could, they could sense that as well. Um, I, I did feel that Ortiz in particular, like, showed a lot of personality mm-hmm. in this match. but And on the countdown as well. Yeah, on the he countdown as well. Like they, they had a really great uh, performance on that countdown special as well. I, I like the match. I can see that it uh, not meeting everyone's expectations level. Expectation levels. I would still go uh, on the grapple system. I would go three point seven five on this one. You're pretty close because grapple rated this one three point six nine. Okay, well, that's. I, I think that's a fair rating. And I think if you were to ask me yesterday, what would you expect? I would have expected this to exceed four mm-hmm. so i can see that uh 
maybe not meeting everyone's expectation mark, but uh, surprised at all with with the outcome. And do you see this transitioning Santana and Ortiz? Does this continue with the Bucks, or do Santana and Ortiz maybe go for the tag titles? I I would do that. I don't know what more there there is to be gained for with a rematch. Um, I'm not all that surprised with the Bucks. You know. Uh, losing this one because I I think it would have hurt Santana and Ortiz more to lose their debut match than the Bucks losing right now. The Bucks just seem to be willing to put over everybody uh, to establish them because the Bucks are pretty much bulletproof at this point. That was you know safe for one member. It was kind of the story of the elite tonight was all you know big right. losses. Mm-hmm. So following that we had the uh, Sammy Guevara coming out to congratulate his teammates and he had a sock with baseballs inside of them. But the Rock and Roll Express came in and they made the save, culminating with a Ricky Morton Canadian destroyer onto Santana. And then he turns and hits a suicide dive uh, before they celebrate with the Young Bucks and send everyone home happy at the end. So the the Rock and Roll Express gained their revenge on Santana and Ortiz. I saw Ricky Morton do these spots at, on spring break against Santana and Ortiz, actually. That's right. And in that context, it was awesome. I don't know if I liked it in this context. You know, these two had just won. You had the Bucks put them over pretty strong. And then all of a sudden, they're being taken out by 60-year-olds. You know? I, I thought that it was... You know, sometimes we see, like, the legends, like, get just beaten down. And it's it's kind of depressing. This was kind of the opposite. was, like, they gave you your happy moment. They got their revenge. But at what cost? Like, you had just spent 21 minutes here putting Santana and Ortiz over your most popular tag team mm-hmm. with the goal that, okay, uh, when, when we beat the Bucks, it has to be for a a strong reason. And the strong reason was it's their debut match and they need to look very strong. And that I would not argue with that. And afterwards, it was kind of like the Rock and Roll Express were able to drop these guys in, in seconds. The expectation is that they will get to that match, right? I mean, but the way they were celebrating almost made this seem like it was just, you know, them. It didn't feel like back. something they'll continue with, but maybe they could. Um, I, I don't know if I'm dying to see that, though. That's a real, like, it's a comedy match, really. It's a stunt match that I think would be perfect for DDT or Spring Break. I don't know if I really, you know, really need that in my AEW television. I thought this diminished their win by being taken out by senior citizens. This almost felt like the kind of segment that you would do, like, uh, do it TV as like a dark segment and not for the show, but just like for the crowd, because mm-hmm. it would get over massive and it, and it, it, everyone got into it here. Is it the best for your story moving forward with your regular guys in Santana and Ortiz in, in our living room watching here with uh Brandon and Davey, um, like it was met with laughter, you know? And I don't know if that's the type of reaction you'd want coming off of such a serious win. Pack and hangman page was next. Uh, this started off where, uh, Paige hit a suicide dive and then Pac attacked his back and was working over it for quite a while. There were chants of cowboy shit. Uh, Paige got dropped onto the edge of the apron and he came back later, hit his moonsault off the top turnbuckle and Pac got away from the buckshot lariat, then got lured into the corner. And this was, aside from the main event, one of the most violent things of the night was Pac with a unfolded chair dropping Hangman Page with a brain buster onto this chair on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then when Page got up, the marking on his back from taking this just looked awful. This it- guy's going to wake up tomorrow and just be screaming mm-hmm. for yeah. taking this. It was, oh, it just looked 
awful. I'm guessing at this point it's probably a nice shade of purple. Like in the morning, it'll probably oh. be yellowish brown or green. Well, take your photos, I guess. Maybe this will make it oh. onto being the elite or something. Um, Pack delivered a release German, pop a power bomb, and then Paige goes for the dead eye. Pack stopped it with knees, applied the brutalizer, but Paige collapses into the ropes, and then Paige climbs to the top, misses the black arrow. Paige goes for the buckshot lariat. Once again, it's avoided, and they nearly crash into referee Bryce Remsburg. Pack goes for the low blow. Paige catches him. Double pair of lariats and the dead eye to win at 18 minutes and 52 seconds. Good match, I thought. You know, I thought these two did absolutely everything right. Again, it was just sort of the crowd's energy that I kind of felt lacking a little. I did like their slower, more methodical pace here. I thought they delivered very consistent action, really painful-looking bumps, some spectacular dives. And, you know, I didn't mind the finish at all. I think Paige is a bit hotter than Pac right now, though it does bring into question perhaps Pac's wins over Omega and Paige earlier. Eh. This was, I, I, this was Pac's first singles loss first that they made loss. a point of. So, I mean, it's giving something to Paige, who is still coming off a series of losses ever since the Jericho loss. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, you you thought that Pac was, you know, there was a reason for him going over all these people, staying undefeated uh, beyond just a loss to Paige here. And but, I guess there really wasn't a reason. <laughs> I mean, something interesting, again, is that they, they brought up these ranking systems. And, you know, was this just the case of wanting everybody to be a bit more closer together? Because this essentially should have been a, a title, or what is it, contender, uh, number one contender match. Yeah. With the, both these guys being number two and three. So was it just a case of them wanting to put Paige in that slot against Jer- Jericho? Yeah. They, and they never really teased that. Like a win here could springboard either into a championship match. Like that was not really a part of the story of this match. It was just kind of presented as is. Um, it was a good match. Um, I, I enjoyed it. It Got a lot of time as well. Went uh, almost 19 minutes here. So between these first two matches, I mean, this pretty much took up the first hour of the pay-per-view. Um, 3.75. 3.75? Yeah, yeah I, I, I could agree with that. I wouldn't go over four on this one. Mm. Sean Spears versus Joey Janela. Janela um, came out here, got a pretty good reception. Tessa, uh, Tessa, Tully Blanchard is in Sean Spears' corner. And... Janela came off the apron into a power slam when Spears caught him and then Spears focused on his back and put Janela in the corner and used the tag rope to tie Joey Janela's hair. And then Janela tried to break free and ended up just ripping his hair to get free from the tag rope. That's crazy. Yes, this was uh, this did not look fun. Then Sean Spears applied a sharpshooter, which was only notable because the referee was Earl Hebner, and this was the anniversary of the screw job, mm-hmm. but was not referenced by the announcers. And thank God, I did not want to hear. I knew what today was. I did not want it to be brought up once on this broadcast. We, we had two, two instances. We had two sharpshooters on this show, so maybe some of the guys were trying to allude to it, but I was glad that we didn't have Montreal Syndrome on this show when mm-hmm. it came to any outcomes. Uh, so Janela came back with a dive off the rope, landing on Spears on the floor. I mean, Janela really just killed himself in this match mm. for the time that they had. And then they're behind the referee's back, and, tell, and Tully helps him with a spike pile driver, delivering it to Janela on the floor, which everyone, I think, just got uh, impressed that Tully got involved physically here. Mm. And then Spears hit the Death Valley driver in the win and wins the match in 11 minutes, 43 seconds. I thought Janela worked very hard in this. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Tully here, but this was a struggle with the crowd. Yes, and I think 
you know, with a with with its placement on the card and also uh, the relative. This was the la- least significant match on the show. The relative lack of star power or titles attached to it. I I think you might have expected a reaction like this. I thought the match was okay. I thought both Janela and Spears did really well. Great reaction for the Tully spot. Um, you know, this was. I had higher expectations, I think, for Spears in this match. I think he's fine, but like he's in a position right now where those guys need promo time. Like that is the strength of them. Them just going out and doing matches. I I don't know. To to me, it's like the most effectiveness is the promos from both of them. To me, I think the jury's still out on on Sean Spears and whether or not you know he deserved a bigger spot while he was in the WWE. And we've seen guys like, you know, John Moxley completely reinvent themselves, pack, you know, reinvent themselves outside of the system. I think Spears has tried to do that decently enough, but in-ring hasn't really shown anything all that remarkable. And I looked to this match as, you know, a place for him to really stand out. I don't think he did, did enough to to do that just yet. Yeah, this wasn't one of the more standout matches on the on the show. The gold... 2.57 on Grapple. 2.57, yeah, wow. The lowest thus far. Um, the Golden Boy is backstage. This was our only backstage interview of the night, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and was the, done for a point. Lowest save for the uh, kickoff. Okay. okay. So the Golden Boy interviews Kip Sabian, and he introduces his new, uh, I guess now in the valet manager role, Penelope Ford, who is with Kip Sabian and says, why be bad? When you can be super bad as they immediately cut back to Joey Janela leaving the ring and huh. seems to be where they're going here with Kip Sabian and Joey Janela. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that depends on how whether or not people recognize that Penelope Ford used to date Joey Janela. I mean, is that something I, th- I think most people up? are aware of that. Most of the people that already know Joey Janela might know that, but how much of their TNT audience would be aware of it? I mean, well, this is the start of this program. I think start. I think they will establish that. And yeah. I mean, the line here was very clear that these right. two, they used to be paired. I think even a new viewer could understand. Yeah, it's interesting because you would expect, I mean, months prior, Janela to be the heel and Sabian to be the babyface, as you know, when we first saw Sabian on AEW. But now the role seems to have reversed, and I think it'll work out better. Joey Janela is Rusev. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, Sabian, it just comes across really naturally unlikable, so it seems like he's well-suited for this. Scorpio Sky, Frankie Kazarian versus the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix, and Private Party for the AEW tag titles. Um... We got a lot of action in, in this match. Um, Sky came in, hit a slingshot cutter to Phoenix, and then rolled to the Dragon Sleeper until it was broken up. Kazarian did his leaping Hurricane Rana to the floor onto Pentagon, uh, followed by a Mark Quen Fosbury flop. Sky then went for a running dive and got stopped with the rope walk kick from Phoenix. And then Phoenix had a clear path and he hit this double jump Tornillo to the floor. And this was the spot of the match mm-hmm. by far. It looked yeah. awesome. Quen then landed a shooting star press with Private Party, later going for the gin and juice, which was blocked when Kazarian held onto the ropes, and they were able to hit SCU later with Kazarian pinning Isaiah Cassidy. 13 minutes, 3 seconds. Um, For the time that Ray Phoenix was in there, especially that dive, I thought that was great, Mm -hmm. but I was kind of underwhelmed by this one. I just found myself just watching this, and there were a lot of moves. There was a lot of just quick tags. Guys just peeling off with one another. I didn't feel this really like gelled together to become this really great three-way match. And I was a little surprised by that given who was in this match. And I've, I found myself like 
checking out here in the middle. I think by this point in the show, maybe there is a bit of like a, you know, two and a half hour, like um, exhaustion, maybe setting in, not just within, within our room, but also with the live audience as well. Uh, maybe even more so than, than had taken place. I, I kind of agree with you. And this is where I wonder if maybe our overexposure to these teams over the past several weeks, you know, contributes to perhaps this match not really feeling all that special is because we just saw several matches of this caliber even better than this just on TV in the weeks leading up to it. It was a fine match. You know, Phoenix had some really fantastic looking areas, but it's it's certainly not a match that stood out. Yeah, it was just like you've seen these different combinations, and I don't think that was so much the case as it was just... Um... I don't know. It just, to me, it, it never got to the gear you would expect for this and to just be, and maybe some of that is match placement. Maybe that is, I, I mean, I look at this card and I wonder how many people in that arena were coming to the show tonight and looking at that announcement about the judges and feeling we're getting a 60 minute match between Cody and Chris Jericho. Um, I'm just trying to look I for any, any kind of reasons. I think a lot of people were speculating that would go 60. And you're it, looking for reasons why the crowd might not be that energetic? Uh, just, yeah, if you, if you know that you've got these matches ahead of you and the potential of a 60-minute title match, um, given the fact that they've... I, I, I don't know. You know, I'd love to certainly hear from some uh, live live reports of, of whether or not people of people that were there, what, what the experience might have been like live. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say why. So... After the match, the Lucha Brothers attempted to attack Kazarian and Sky when the lights go out and another Pentagon appears and they do the the doink scene from WrestleMania 9 where they're just mimicking each other like the one's mirroring the other. And then the fake Pentagon hits the real one with the angel's wings, revealing it to be Christopher Daniels, who is back and proceeded to attack them with chair shots. Yeah, I think, you know, that'll be the thing that stands out the most out of this whole thing was yep. the return of Chris Daniels. Um, Pentagon and Phoenix not taking the fall in this match either. So this means that the feud continues. I right? think so. It'll be, I mean, kind of like the third match between SCU and, and the Lucha Brothers, this time with Daniels in there. Um, do you think that, I guess, you know, this is only the beginning of the Daniels return. So we don't really know what sort of story that they're going to tell. I would be sorely disappointed if it was just back, you know, things back to normal with SCU and that you don't really build much more of a story coming out of this. Because I feel like there's just, I don't know, there's a lot more drama to be told with like, you know, some type of jealousy storyline in a, in a, in a triple. Uh... There's a lot of interesting ways you can go. Like Daniels coming back and just assuming that it's going to be Freebird rules and, and Kazarian and Sky being like, yeah. ah, I think we got a good thing going here. Like you could play with a lot of different, uh, some different dynamics with them all. Grapple rated this particular match 3.34. 3. 3.34. <laughs> Riho versus Emi Sakura for the AEW women's title. Before we get into the match, I want to talk about this one because, um, you know, one of the, the criticisms we had about the buildup to, to Full Gear was the the real lack of maybe promo time and also video time for this particular matchup. It was just built up. Didn't wasn't really built up with that much reason because Sakura was one and O, oh, and I suppose that I don't know because she's undefeated with one win that somehow qualified her. They built it up, I suppose, leading up to this by giving her a win over a pin over Riho in a tag team match. But, you know, they announced the, the thing before. All that is to say, there wasn't that much story put into it. But, you know, Amy Sakura over the past 24 or 48 hours went on Twitter and decided to explain the long history between her and Riho herself in a series of tweets that, 
you know, I think educated a certain amount of people into realizing that these two, we knew that it was teacher and student, but I think what was somewhat lost was the fact that Riho started training with Sakura from a very young age. So you're seeing these photos of like a child with, you know, this grown woman all the way through, you know, hundreds of matches that these two have had leading up to this, which I would assume to be their biggest stage of all time. So just, you know, following the stories that or, or just the tweets that she was putting out there made this match that much more important to myself and I think to a whole lot of other people that might have been following these tweets. It's really unfortunate they didn't spend the proper time to tell this story because it would have been it would have made obviously for a better match. It would have made for a lot more uh, interest in both Riho and Sakura. I think it also would have been a great chance for AEW to prove that they can showcase a storyline between two non-English speakers, uh, and and you know use just great real life drama to try to tell a universal story between somebody trying to beat their master in order on the biggest stage of of their careers. Um, so they didn't do all that, but I was pleasantly surprised at the beginning of this match to see a video feature. Yeah. A video feature, you know, with interviews that seem to have been done after a match of some sort, maybe even this past weekend, where the two briefly got into the history. But I mean, you you hear some of this or you you watch the video and then you read the tweets and you just get the sense that maybe they got into like 3% of their entire story. Um, So a little disappointing that they couldn't tell a bigger story here, but they did seem to make a last minute late attempt uh, with, with the feature that, that they broadcast on this show. Yeah. And I think that the fact that they, they took that initiative, like good on them to Subtitle try and to, do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it starts off and Riho lands a double foot stomp onto soccer on the edge of the apron, uses a half crab. Uh, soccer did a bunch of the Freddie Mercury mannerisms, just yelling out to the crowd and then did the rotating surfboard around the ring. Uh, Rio fought back, Tiger faint kick, then into a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and came down to, um, soccer came down and ended up stomping Rio's arm as she came down. It That looked rough. It looked, it looked really not rough. Not fun. And then Rio fired back and soccer attacked with slaps. Rio with another foot stomp, Northern Light suplex for a two count. And then the action picked up. They did their super fast transitions that you got a glimpse of during the tag match on Wednesday. And each are going for covers, and it ends with Rio drilling her with knee strikes, and then a roll-up catching Sakura with the cover at 13 minutes and 18 seconds retains the title. And I, I thought I thought another one where it was I, I thought it really picked up at the end. Like they were working uh, like a very strong style here between the two, and I think the audience they finally got into it right near the end here um, with that just fast sequence where they were very impressed. And that kind of reflected the tag match on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You know, because this match received so little promotion, the match itself had to be especially impressive. And I think judging by the crowd reaction, I thought these two did enough to keep the crowd from checking out, but not necessarily quite enough to the point where I, I would say the crowd managed to connect with it. I thought there were a lot of dead spots, you know, especially with Sakura in control where I did not sense she fought that that she fought really with that much urgency. Certainly for somebody who is trying to profess this as like you know being the the biggest chapter in this long rivalry between teacher and student, I did not get the sense that she was wrestling with that same type of importance. Um, I you know the Freddie Mercury thing I guess is is what helps her give get some sort of identity, but in this match I thought it was really out of place. You know especially if she's a heel trying to do the we will rock you. Um, I just. 
and the yodeling. It just it's more funny than than anything, and I think took away from the serious type of uh, tone that she was trying to create herself via Twitter. So, but you know that said, I thought Riho really impressed me here. She played a great underdog, really spectacular, fast moving offense, especially in that like final sequence. She looked really impressive. So I look forward to you know the future with her and what she could do with with other performers, more established veterans on on this on this roster. Somebody like an awesome Kong, you know. Right, yeah, and I, I think that she's an example of someone where the the records, like, the fact that she has not lost in a, a singles match so far, I think that that, just having that number continuing to grow and grow, it just makes it that much more impactful when she eventually does lose as well, and they're, you know, clearly building this division around her, and it's going to be... Intriguing to see where they take the women's division from here, because I, I think it's a pretty, you know, it's it's been a division that has been met with criticism, just that it, it has not reached, I think, the level of the potential some believed coming in that it would have. So mm-hmm. they have their work cut out for them, and we'll see, like, now that this cycle is over, what where they go with Rio next. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, Sakura shook hands with uh, uh, Rio as well. 3.49 on the grapple app. Do you see that as high or low? It's about where I expected. I would have gone like three one three two. Yeah, yeah. So then we only have two matches left. It's Chris Jericho and Cody for the AEW title going on second to last, and that includes the introduction of our judges: Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson, and Keiji Muto. Mm-hmm. So everyone was starting to believe that it was going to be a split decision. Dean Malenko would have a swing vote, and it would be a conspiracy theory. Jericho loses the title. Ooh, wow. I guess I wouldn't know um, uh, Budo's allegiances to either guy. I'll tell you, he was he was just going to be grading based on color in yes. this match, and there would be lots of it. It would be a different scale out of 10. Cody comes, Yeah, the Muda scale is what he would be grading mm-hmm. upon. And Cody comes down with MJF. They cut to Cody's mother, Michelle, in the crowd, and I'm just watching this. And in my head, I'm constantly thinking, like, how are they doing this? And I see the cut from MJF to the mother and I'm thinking of that Survivor Series with Owen Hart and Helen and I was like what What are they going to do here is yeah. MJF going to get the mother to throw the towel in or something like that um, I mean that Helen Hart is the standard uh, of wrestling mothers being involved in a wrestling match yeah. and Owen is the best Owen was fantastic yes. in his role in yes. that match uh, conversely Jake Hager was in Chris Jericho's corner and Jericho's wearing his own weight belt with uh, Le Champion mm-hmm. on it um, the beginning of the match, very slow paced. And I, I was immediately thinking, wow, they, maybe they are teasing that they're going to be going at least 45 here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very slow start. Um, but, but not like the crowd was not into it. It was I just thought, slowly building. I thought it was good slow. And yes. you're talking about two people who are masters at working an audience and making the most out of, you know, doing the least. Uh, I thought that the pace was such that it was slow with like high spurts of like you know big energy and then like jericho sprinkling in you know talking trash to like cody's mother like and and other fun stuff ringside so then the match takes a drastic turn cody dives over the top and here they have the elevated ramp and cody comes down and i think it's like the referee is kind of blocking us from the camera view and you just see his head like it was jericho i think blocking or it was jericho and he comes down, and you can just see he's gone down at a very bad angle. He face plants yes. off of this dive. He just goes in horribly, and he comes up, and he has sliced his forehead. 
it looks awful. There is blood just protruding out of this cut, and it it, it did not look like it was um, intentional. Like, it did not look like a razor blade type of cut. Like, this looked like the type of cut gash that you would see in an MMA fight when somebody's forehead would be sliced open. Yes, this... Uh, I thought I was going to be seeing my second straight Dr. Stoppage due to a cut on a Saturday night after 2.44 last weekend with this. Oh. This looked brutal. Yeah. Um, they're able to bring down the bleeding, but it just, you can see like this is in need of stitches and this, his face is going to be a mess to, or at least his forehead is going to be a mess tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Cody fights back and you know, the, the crowd is, they're certainly getting into Cody's comeback and this woke everybody up. Yes. Like this was, this sucked you right into the match, just like it did when, when Dustin bled in the Cody match. Yes. Um, so they're really picking up here and then they go to the floor. Michelle, uh, Cody's mother ends up slapping Jericho and Cody knocks him down. Michelle leans over, gets another shot in and apparently yells, fuck you at Chris Jericho. <laughs> uh, so she was fantastic. Then Jake Hager later strikes Cody from the floor. Aubrey Edwards catches him and ejects Hager. But before Hager leaves, he attacks MJF, which is kind of like a curious attack in hindsight. Well, I don't think we know that MJF has any association with the inner circle, you know? No, it's just that that's not a program you'd be going to like, is that anything you'd revisit? And m- maybe there was a reason for it, but I it think, just, I think it was part, partly misdirection. Could so have been. You don't think about the turn. Okay. And yeah. Um, well, let maybe spell it all out towards the end. Yeah. So the match continues. Uh, MJF is still there and Jericho ends up nailing Cody with the, with the AEW belt that Edwards misses. Cody kicks out and then Jericho goes for the Judas effect. It gets caught by Cody and he turns it into the crossroads. This looked awesome Mm -hmm. and a gigantic near fall. This place went nuts. Yes. Yes. You could have bought this, that this would have been the finish, just a simple counter and hitting crossroads, but Jericho kicks out of it. Yeah. Very well executed. Jericho gets his own near fall crowd is with it. This is the hottest day have been all night. Jericho's whipping him with the weightlifting belt until it gets taken away. Uh, Cody tries for a top rope hook and Rana. It's caught, and Jericho just jumps to the floor, applying the walls of Jericho. Cody gets to the rope. So Jericho reapplies it, but now it's the lion tamer version. And he's stomping down on Cody's head. These look like brutal shots. He's torquing back on the neck. And MJF, you can see him facing the hard camera. He is just, just panicking for Cody, and he's holding a towel. And then he throws it in. This crowd is livid as Jericho wins the match. Via towel, yeah. 29-37 this one went. I thought a really excellent match, full of emotion. You know, that dive and that subsequent cut certainly took this thing to a different level. Um, Which you have to imagine what was... Like, the plan had to be to get blood in this match for that kind of a stoppage. You know, maybe it could have been intentional. Maybe... God, I, I I cannot fathom that. Uh, that cut just looked so deep, though. Um, anyway, I it, can't imagine someone suggesting. You know how we could, should bust myself hard way? I'm gonna dive and face plant <laughs> into the stage. Can you imagine? I couldn't even imagine how that would cut you open. Like it would yeah. just be. I, I can't. Could you I imagine somebody imagine saying? Could you imagine somebody saying we're gonna bust you open by having Brock Lesnar deliver repeated forearms into your head? <laughs> You're crazy. There's a concussion <laughs> lawsuit. That's that's insane. <laughs> but you know that. 
you know, for better or worse, that that cut made this match magical. And oh, man, you can argue, even argue that they might have done too good of a job patching it up because like a face full of blood with a lot of the rest of that match, I think would have even taken this thing to a, a, the next level. It certainly sucked the audience right in. And, and when an injury looks this severe, you set the stage for somebody like Chris Jericho to get maximum value out of doing every little thing. You know, every punch, every suplex looks way more painful and way more brutal than usual. I especially like the fact that when he landed, Cody was like complaining about his ribs. And so Jericho... Because that had been... Yeah, he had been selling like the the solar plexus yeah. all match long that he had like had the wind knocked out of him. And, and, and Jericho for the rest of the match was targeting the ribs. And yeah. I, I really liked that. You know, Cody, I thought, milked the sympathy out, out of that cut really well. I think I would have lingered on the NJF, you know, tease a little bit longer. Um, I think you could have gotten more. You, you certainly had not not the program. I mean, the the towel throw. I thought that oh, came a little abrupt. Oh, I you? thought you meant the turn. No, well, maybe that too. But you know, I again, I think back to just. I, I like the finish because MJF has this plausible deniability that he was tr- he was thinking of Cody first. Yeah. And then you could do the reveal at the end of all this, he does the turn, but they decided to do it right away. Right. And I think you could have got some weeks of MJF like explaining his case yeah. and feeling justified in his actions protecting his friend. I, I agree. I agree with that as well. But I guess I was just even though he's full of shit. Yeah, I guess I was just more so thinking about the moment. And again, I, I'm, I, I'm always going to compare this to Hell and Heart, where they spent 10 minutes debating, you know, whether or not, looking, the, looking at the panic on Hell and Heart, Heart's face, you know, debating whether or not she should be saving her son. I think MJF would have done a tremendous job had you given him that maybe same space to just act, act out that tension. But, you know, then again, knowing exactly what was behind the character's mind, should he have been in a, in a position of being, you know, concerned? At the very least, I think I would have liked to have seen him actually throw the towel. And unfortunately, the camera seemed to have missed that particular moment. I think what they were going for was um, like that visual of when Bob Backlund lost the title to Iron Sheik. And it's like, you don't see the throw. You just see the visual of the hold and the towel falls down. Right. Um, hmm. So this one goes, yeah, pretty much a half hour. And then uh, I thought this was an excellent match, yes. by the way. This yes, it was. Um, I know some people maybe... Um, are going to pick the main event. This was my match of the show. I can see a lot of people not picking the main event. Actually. I can see a lot of people not, but I can see a lot of people actually <laughs> yeah. are, depending are on into that. Depending on what side of the fence you might sit on, uh, this would, I, I would certainly say a lot of people would have picked this as the match of the night. This is where I think the card really, you know, prior to this, it was a very standard show. I would um, say this show is ultimately going to be judged on the final two matches. Yeah, but this was special. MJF is in tears explaining to Cody Cody, you can see how upset he is, but then he calms down and he seems that he understands MJF's position, which I I almost felt like Cody should not have been so, I, I mean, you were trying to do a lot here mm-hmm. and he puts his arm onto MJF's shoulder and then MJF kicks him in the balls and the crowd just goes nuts. Cody, ch- Cody had to show that he had forgiven MJF. He was a good guy. He understands MJF's concern for him. I just, I'm fine with that. It shouldn't have been 60 seconds after you've just lost any other chance right. to fight for this title, to be so forgiving. It's true. How, sure. how, bi- how big of a burden is this on you if you, in, within a minute, you're able to forgive this guy. So what would you have said? I would have at least, I would have waited on this. I don't think we had to do this MJF turn tonight. I think right. like there's so much people know where it's going. Milk it for a few weeks. Let us like really make that impactful. And I, I actually think like, 
the turn that could have been a TV angle as opposed to doing the pay-per-view. Mm. I left it satisfied. Like yeah. you're left with an open-ended question of how is Cody going to react on TV? What's MJF's explanation going to be? Mm-hmm. And by the end of this, it's you're trying to justify MJF's actions and he's going to fuck you because yep. his actions were exactly as they were uh, perceived by the pessimists. I will say I'm a little bit disappointed because we're no longer going to get that really fun will he or won't he MJF that I think for several weeks, several of those teases were just really fun because you knew it was coming. But, you know, anytime they ultimately took it away, it was like, damn, you got me again this time. Um Everything has to come to an end, though, and I'm guessing maybe they wanted a newsworthy item coming out of this pay-per-view to get people to watch the show on Wednesday, you know, to talk about this show. I mean, it got over big to the crowd. I mean, they doused this guy with drinks. They were chanting asshole at him. I mean, they took to this as a big Mm -hmm. turn, like a heel turn for the already established heel. Yeah. So, and this detours Cody for now. But again, this is... How are they going to handle Cody no longer challenging for a belt? They have made a big promise a big promise Mm -hmm. that he will never fight for the title and it's either they maintain that to the detriment i feel of their business to like keep cody away from this title you can have cody main event shows based off of story based off of grudges and not necessarily with the belt you know and also if there's the idea is that not like kind of undercutting like to me he's going to be in the top program but he's not with the title well you had the case that case today that was you know on this particular show you mean with like Moxley and Omega? Yeah. Um, I still felt going into this. To me, Jericho and Cody was still the biggest match. On you could be one A and one B, but I mean, I think the you know the point is, it's you can do plenty with Cody even if he no longer challenges for the heavyweight championship. He did talk about a possibility of a second tier championship. You know, if that's the best he can achieve, if you're... He's the Nakamura establishing it, the secondary title? Sure, yeah. Like, you know that... what? How much credibility... That gives you a ton of credibility for that second-tier championship when you know that the person holding it is legitimate enough to potentially be a world champion, but he just can't because of this bullshit thing. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. If you're introduced... Like, you don't want to have a, another title that is painted as less than the main title like Mm -hmm. it has to be prestigious that you could headline a show with it and that might be the best direction for um for for cody to go with grapple gives this one at the moment 3.99 but i mean i think that'll maybe trickle up to a three or to to a four there should be a four yeah definitely um even a little above yeah i I really enjoyed this match i thought it was a great great performance by everyone involved here i thought jericho was a great heel i don't think he's going to um you know, there was so much going on in this match, like between Cody and MJF, that, uh, yeah, Jericho played a great he role. He shines the most, I think, in matches like these were just, you know, the, the, the his ability to, to engage and work the crowd, again, with without doing a whole lot in ring, um, is, is really to be, I think, admired at this point in his career. And then following that was our Lights Out unsanctioned match with Jon Moxley and Kenny Omega. Justin Roberts gave an ominous speech about the the lights going down and there are no rules in this match. Uh, Paul Turner was there to count the finish and Jim Ross was questioning why Paul Turner even needed to be there. These guys would have just fought into oblivion until someone died. Now, is there a real answer for that question? I mean, typically the answer they usually give is that they are only there to cover the fall. So there is a winner and there is a loser, someone to administer the, the count. So we didn't get that answer on air, right? You're supplying that answer. 
I am supplying that answer. So was it worth JR asking that question on air? I think they should have. I don't think you should ever openly ask questions that you can't answer in the broadcast booth. I think I think it's fine for one person to play that role, but you have to have someone to explain the logic and not just leave the the fan at home saying, "Yeah, that's a great point." Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. Like the the their style is sort of like JR maybe you know throwing it out to Excalibur for him to answer. But I guess this was a scenario where we didn't get an answer. And I, I just left that statement agreeing with JR. Oh, why is this happening? So they both come out, and it's a sprint right out of the gate between these two. They're working like a hard, intense style immediately to establish the tone of this match and make it feel different. Like they, you can see like what kind of uh, feel they are trying to convey to the crowd instantly. Mm-hmm. But if, uh, And also, do you... I, I think you're in agreement that this should have gone on last. I don't see how this could possibly uh, anything could have followed this. Nothing. Nothing. So I did this. not disagree with this at yeah. all. Um, so the first crazy thing in a match of insanity was Omega. <laughs> this feels like nothing in comparison, but when he ran on the floor and hit that leaping missile drop kick over the guardrail, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, what's he thinking? He could really hurt himself doing that." Uh, they're just brawling all over the place. Barbed wire bats brought in by Moxley. Uh, Omega goes for the Snapdragon, and it gets stopped because Moxley rubs the barbed wire against Omega's forearm. Like, we've seen people use barbed wire bats, and it would typically be like, you know, a little love tap here and there. This was Oh, these were these two just swinging for the fences. Omega's back was all sliced up. And just grating it across somebody's body, which was nuts. The barbed wire broom was brought in. Moxley got blasted over the head with this. So he's cut from the back of his head and then uh, cuts him open further with the barbed wire uh, broom. So then our next... He was sweeping him. Oh, that's right. He swept him. Sweeping the barbed wire. He swept him with the barbed wire. And Moxley just started dripping right away. Yes. This was when Renee Young was checking in and (laughs) stating that she hated this. Omega's next trick was the bed of mouse traps as they were brought in and ended up with uh omega taking a suplex onto them and then rolling around on the mouse you traps. took an x-plex onto the mouse traps nice yeah. well there you go uh next was a series <laughs> moxley to counter the mouse traps got a bunch of gold chains yeah sort of a, a little bit of a step down this was only to the benefit of my one-liner on twitter that this lights out match is featuring a lot of chain wrestling. <laughs> okay, excellent. Moxley then brought out this spike, which they debated at first was a, a, a screwdriver. Then they decided it was an ice pick. And then later they just called it an instrument of destruction. Okay. So Jim Ross just seemed exhilarated when this ice pick was introduced. How did you feel Jim Ross uh handled this like he was pretty much playing uh you know you know when they do like the reaction videos to like uh when damien did his tournament of death documentary and Mm -hmm. they put out that piece where you were just watching the reactions jim ross felt like he was being shown something and just reacting in real time and it works for like this is a horrific match Mm -hmm. and jim ross was horrified at most of this yeah yeah you know, like I'm watching, like in watching AEW thus, thus far, I feel like there are certain moments where like JR is kind of like thinly veiling his c- 
contempt for maybe a lot of a lot of like what we're seeing but maybe that's just me kind of reading into it like because from all accounts he's very supportive of everything that's going on but it, it it certainly feels like there are certain matches that are more his style and certain matches that he he is not as big of a fan oh, of his main event was jericho and cody and this you could see was you know but at the same time it was like he was conveying the, the feeling you want feeling. yes sure. um you know I'll, I'll say to the to the other one like as this is starting like excalibur is going off on the these two are about to engage in the beautiful art of violence i was like spare me that give me jim ross saying what is the what the fuck is going on here i prefer that i think that's the re- it's kind of the reaction i have watching this i'm much more in tune with jim ross than the beautiful art of violence well i think that cross section is maybe where you want to land you know somebody representing uh all angles and yeah certainly excalibur represents more of the the connoisseur of deathmatch. I didn't think Jim Ross was ever like uh, hindering this. I think he was putting the, their their toughness over. He yeah. was, you know, just. I mean, he was floored by these weapons. Mm-hmm. So, um, from there we continue. Omega hit a. Oh, we had the glass. Omega introduces the uh, bag of glass, and he takes a shard of it and slices between Omega's uh, between Moxley's fingers. Then he applies a he hits a spine buster onto the glass that Moxley takes, and then puts Moxley in the sharpshooter. And Moxley has to climb through the broken glass to get to the rope to lift himself up. Mm-hmm. And again, we got the well. There's no rope breaks here, but that was not established. This was never said falls count anywhere, and the fall did have to end in this ring, right? As I'm led to believe, but no rope breaks though. Like, well, like it's not up to the the, uh, the the person doing the move to let it go. So Excalibur explained that this was Moxley merely using the ropes for leverage right. to pull himself. Yes, he, he wouldn't have to let go of it. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, it was a spot where, like, you see, oh, why are they going to a submission there? And in the end, I thought it was brilliant because the submission was only applied so that you could have Moxley crawl his way through the glass to get to a destination yeah it was himself it was a well thought out match that he was gonna have to climb through this in order to help Mm -hmm. himself out so omega hits a pair of v triggers and then uh brings back the instrument of destruction and starts carving moxley's forehead they go up the ramp the bucks and hangman page come out and they're telling kenny no more no more and that's when you were telling us you're better than this you can't go down this path. You'll regret it. I mean, thank God we never saw Sledgehammer in this because then Paul Turner would have no choice, right? I was just grateful that we saw a light that wasn't a certain shade of color. Oh, could you imagine? Yeah, we got we got blue blue color all over this entire arena. So after the Bucks and Hangman are pleading to Kenny to stop this, they walk off and they bring in the barbed wire spider web. Yeah, they seem to really be on board with Omega's destruction. This after thing was just hanging out back there. It's like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Just yeah. go get, go get my toy. So this culminated in Moxie gaining the advantage and then vertical suplexing both men onto the barbed wire contraption, yeah. and they were caught up in this barbed wire. This looked horrifying, and they call it a spider web, I guess, because getting out was really difficult, and it looked like the, like it looked like the getting out was way tougher than getting in. Like, a bunch of other people got hurt trying to lift them out at the same time. 
Then they went through this plexiglass portion of the set when Omega drilled him with a V-trigger and they crashed through that. They get back to the ring. Moxley hits him with a paradigm shift out of nowhere. Omega kicks out and then Moxley cuts open the canvas, exposes the wood underneath the, the canvas, and... He takes a back body drop onto the wood. Each are trying for their finishers. Omega uses the paradigm shift, only gets a two count. Omega climbs to the top rope, and he misses a phoenix splash off the top, smashing into the wood. You got to think about the velocity you get in a 450 splash. And imagine going that fast, spitting that fast directly into hard, solid wood. Uh, It looked brutal. Yeah. And also, this is... Uh, Bushi's move. You're right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's uh, obviously he's <laughs> he's he's throwing these Abushi references into his matches or his mm. entrances too from the the Undertale deal, and then there's a elevated paradigm shift by Moxley for the win. Thirty eight minutes and forty six seconds. Oh my goodness. This was. As violent as you're going to see from a national promotion on pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people are going to dig this. Listen, I can uh, I can appreciate how intense this match was. They certainly had... This was not just gratuitous. Um, it was creative. It was very creative. They yeah. worked their asses off in this match. Um, I, I thought it was a good match. It wasn't my match of the night. It's not the style I'm I'm going to necessarily gravitate to, mm-hmm. but I can certainly appreciate how hard these two worked and tried to have the most violent match AEW's ever had. That's certainly the sense that you got. Um, it's this type of style of match is not for everybody. It's a love it or hate it type of match. I liked it. I might have even loved it. I I really enjoyed it. I mean, and I found myself in a relatively high tense state of unease, you know, throughout these 30 minutes of this match. And I think I've come to realize that that is the exact type of emotion. These types of type of matches are meant to evoke just, you know, edge of your seat, not knowing what, what's going to happen next and fearing that, oh man, like something terrible is going to go on. It, it was just constantly kind of elevating the risk. And what I look for is just creativity and, you know, an escalation and, you know, that feeling of just like, oh, man, like seeing something that was spectacular. And this was it. I found myself thoroughly entertained. I remember every single moment of this particular match because it was well thought out. Um, something I certainly hadn't seen before, you know, throughout the entire thing. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. So uh, I a lot s- of people were negative on the time. I this didn't feel like not, 40 minutes. I was not bored. Like I have to say. Yeah, I, I would go like for grapple. I still if the last match, I would go like a 4.2. This this is like right below it. I'm still going four on this. We'll see what they thought here because uh, you know this could it, be a polarizing match for people. it certainly is a polarizing match i mean it, i think people are going to look at that time if they didn't see the match and they're going to think negative of if it. if you're appealing to like a gcw type of niche czw type of niche i mean people seek out those promotions specifically for this type of match when you're aew you're trying to cater to a much wider audience and that wider audience might not necessarily be into this so what does grapple rate it 4.27 is that the highest? Moment. Yes. Wow. So that is According the match them, of the night. The match of the night. I, I think that the the final two matches. I think you have to give this a thumbs up show. I think at the end of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I agree. I agree. I think those two matches were strong enough that I would, but I think the rest of this match, I don't know, again, if it's like just the the audience or maybe just the overexposure of AEW thus far. I was really underwhelmed going into the final two matches, and I was thinking this was the weakest pay-per-view that they've done. It, it was up until the two. final two matches. It's Definitely. not like those matches were bad. They were just not very special on no. a show where I think they needed to be special, and they delivered in the last two. No, I think it, given the fact that you got a 30- and 40-minute match at the end there, I mean, that was pretty much the last 90 minutes of the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Really hard to complain about that. That's why I go thumbs up, but um, it wouldn't have been thumbs up had it not been for uh, both of those matches. I don't think one would have necessarily uh, pushed it to mm-hmm. that level either. But um, yeah, a, a strong finish to the card. Um, we want to take some of your phone calls. We want to take some of your opinions on this particular show, AEW Full Gear. But first, we go to the post-wrestling forums and our poll. Out of 10, what do you think, John, our form rated this show? I think they're going to go 7 on this one. Maybe 7.5. 7.06. Okay. So... Uh, pretty close to what you guess, and I would say maybe on the lower end. Uh, don't you think of like AEW pay per views thus far? I would say so. I I put up a, t- a poll on Twitter, and I got over a thousand votes. Uh, sixty five percent thumbs up, twenty five percent in the middle, ten percent thumbs down. Which I would consider to be low for AEW standard, and I you know I love to know maybe why that is, what people thought. Let's go to our first phone call here. We got our friend. Bruce Lord calling in. Bruce, what did you think of AEW Full Gear? Hey, guys. Oops. The call overall, uh, or excuse me, the, 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 the show overall. But I did think that, it, like you were saying, uh, it did really lean a bit heavily on the last two matches there. I'm kind of wondering if... <sighs> If you'll remember in the um, the countdown special, there really was only focus on the tag match and then the final two matches, with most of the undercard kind of being left completely undiscussed. And uh, for some of the casual friends that I was watching the show with, I felt like I was kind of having to do a lot of backstory, a lot of explaining with those matches, whereas the way that the... Um, the the other programming had sort of led into the the late the main matches there uh was able to kind of tell the story itself so i'm kind of wondering if you know they sort of shot themselves in the foot by not doing a little bit more sort of uh preamble leading into the undercard there but i would like to kind of you know echo your thoughts with regards to the last two matches there i thought they were both really really excellent um in particular the last match um you know i'm not really a big death match guy uh, that's not a style that I tend to go for, but I thought this was a really smart, well-executed version of that style. Um, I thought the you know the care and pacing that somebody like Omega puts into his matches was really on full display there, and it was really just a cut above as far as that type of match goes. Um, so you know I thought it was pretty impressive that they were able to sort of have one of their main stars go into a place that. Um, but still was able to sort of communicate what has made him such an impressive wrestler thus far. Thank you for your thoughts, Bruce. Uh, I apologize because we were having some dropout issues there, but um, please uh, call back at at a different time. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I would say that, you know, when it comes to the countdown special specifically, I I can understand people's like uh, issues about like more focus on the undercard. But to me, if I'm putting that countdown special together, I'm focusing on the matches that are drawing the people to the show. And mm-hmm. they isolated. I, I don't want to be, if I've got 36 minutes, I don't want to be spending 10 minutes on the undercard. If people are buying it based on the th- three matches, and then you're going to get the rest of the undercard. So if you can't sell me on those three top matches, I don't know if necessarily spending time on, 
you know, one of the undercard matches is is worth your effort. I think that you focus on your money matches, and that's why they are the money matches. I don't disagree. I think, you know, we see it in MMA. You know, there's a reason why those countdown specials are only focusing on either the top match or the top two matches. And the poster, yeah. That said, I still feel like there was TV time, enough TV time for them to devote to something like any TV time, yes, but the countdown itself. Even AEW Dark, you know, if you have to do that. I think there there could have been plenty more they could have done for some of those other matches. All right. We go to back to the phone lines. Hanzi, what did you think of AEW Full Gear? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, um, Yeah. I, I thought I thought it was a solid pay per view. Um, I, I'm with you guys with like the other like the other matches. Like they weren't like standout special. Um, more I I thought with the Christopher Daniels reveal was kind of like too much. Like I mean he would have got a pop if he just came out as is. But I I guess like it, it was just like a fancy way of doing it. I just thought it was kind of too much. But um the but the last two matches for me really really delivered. Um, and and the women's match delivered as well, but I feel like they don't put enough storyline into these women matches and all that, and that's like one of my main gripes. But the the last two matches were the like they they really did steal the show for me. Uh, I thought like it, people were complaining that uh, on my timeline at least that all oh, the Jericho and um, Cody match was too slow and all that. And I don't know. I thought they were telling a, a, a really, really good story. Mm-hmm. Um, the, la- the last match was really, really excessive. I, I, I can see why people were turned off by it. But I'm saying, like, if you're going to do an unsanctioned match, this is kind of the stuff that you got to do. But do you guys – let me ask you guys a question before I go. Do you guys feel that – with these death matches and these unsanctioned type matches, like even with Gargano and Ciampa, do you think it kind of like takes away from like their finishing move when they do their finishing move on like shards of glass and then they kick out and then like, because then like, how am I supposed to expect you to like, win a, like, you know, win a match with that move <laughs> if you can't do it in a death match? I think you always have to be judicious because I think we've seen the, the most extreme example of the stomp that I think has just been absolutely destroyed over the past two months. Um, yeah, you you, ha- you have to be, I think, selective um, when, it, when it comes to where you're going to do those kickouts and to what extent. I, I don't think that they trivialize their big ones, especially the paradigm shift that I think that's that's a move that they keep very, very protected. Like the kick out of it was Omega delivering the paradigm shift. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, and again, I enjoy your podcast. You guys are dope. Yeah. Thanks, Hansi, as always. That's Moxley did do one where Omega kicked out when he did the the paradigm shift, the the quick one. So he did one kick out of the paradigm shift. Right, right. The big paradigm shift at the end was sort of like a more of an elevated one. And I think when it comes to that, like, I, I it's time and place, right? Like time and place. I can but buy. like the crossroads being kicked out from tonight. That was like a huge moment, yeah. and I don't think that was trivializing it. That was a big moment in the match, and it's it's. Ex- it's exceedingly rare that the crossroads gets kicked out from. I can buy also in storyline that maybe a wrestler will train hard enough that they could withstand a bit more punish- punishment on a pay-per-view night versus maybe a house show. Um, I, as long as and you- he had shards of glass all over him, he might not have gotten all the torque of that paradigm shift. Sure. But as long as like I think you, you tell me that there are fair rules for both participants in the match, I'm willing to buy a whole lot as a wrestling fan. So, we go back to the phone lines. Caller, what did you think of uh, AEW Full Gear? Uh, hey, guys. It's Paul from New Jersey. I thought it was pretty decent. Um, I was just – I actually liked the MJF uh, heel turn that they did it tonight. And I kind of – I, I like the Cody thing too. 
And I also, if like, if I've watched wrestling long enough, I really like, you know, at Mania seven, Macho Man had a retirement match and then the next WrestleMania, the Hoosier Dome is winning the title. So I think there's always like workarounds. They could do like a voting of the fans. And, you know, since Cody's such an amazing baby face, you know, it's something I think you could work out in a year or two. But, uh, but, 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 but there's always the workaround, Paul. Like that's the exact problem is that everybody, nobody believes stipulations to begin with. So if you're introducing them, it's it's almost like you're introducing something that pe- you're already have people that aren't believing it to begin with. So that, why introduce it if you're going to get around it? That type of action, you know, going back on a stipulation like this is exactly part of the reason why people don't care about matches like this to begin with. And I just I have a bit more faith that Cody Rhodes himself will show a bit more respect for, I think, you know, these type of things to the point where I don't think he would suggest something like this unless he was willing to go through with it for a, a, a very long time. At least a year, if not more, you know, hopefully maybe more. But at, at least that's how it comes across to me, because otherwise I think it's a breaking of your trust with the audience if they just go back on this, you know, several months from now. Yeah, I I, I agree with everything you're saying. It just he's going to have to because it's like, I mean, anyone can can't deny this guy has to hold this title at some point, whether it's two, three years, three years, four years. So I think that's kind of what he's going for. But also to, to piggyback back off of what um, Hansi was saying, like um, this does seem like a company who's listening to its fans and like, obviously like wrestling matters, but like, let's face it, what draws money is the promo and the character. And it's like, why not just have Rio um, just have her do subtitles and have her cut promos maybe live and like really put the focus on her. Because I, I think just wrestling alone, um, I don't know if she's going to remain over and I'll let you go after this. Um, who do you think her next challenger is? Because there really isn't anyone clear for me. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, with Rio, they haven't established anyone clear-cut beyond... I think Kong, it's almost like this separate story at the moment. I think that's a program you can get to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's immediate, what you do. And maybe it's just having Rio... Um, it's a series of, you know... Just go, th- Jamie, goes through... Jamie Hayter, you know? I mean, Jamie Hayter made a great impact this week. I actually would have had B Priestley potentially win if you want to set that up. Um, Brit... I gotta, I gotta go back to the rankings actually, and and see who's who's next in line. They do have those, so yep. you know, for the women. Yep. Uh, but you know, as far as what Paul was alluding to, I, I certainly feel like they should be doing more subtitled uh, promos with Riho. I think that was uh, there was a lot of criticism placed towards I think that particular weak spot in this match. So I'm hoping that's something they they go towards. You know, doing a live promo has always proven to be a challenge for you know your non English speakers in any wrestling context and. Is there an effective way of doing it? I think we're seeing NXT, you know, do their best. They we have seen them try with people like Asuka and right now Io Shirai. Um, I think Riho at some point might have to speak a bit of English, but I really just want to see more backstage, you know, things like this of her speaking the way she wants to and go putting those subtitles in there so I know exactly what she's trying to say. So I'm hoping for a lot more of that. We go back to the phone lines now, caller. What did you think of AEW Full Gear? Good evening, gentlemen. Oh, boy. I definitely want your take, Brandon from New Jersey. What's good, guys? Yeah. Um, I didn't like the heel turn. I thought it was too soon. Uh, I thought they could have stretched that out, you know, six months to a year and got more vitriol, especially – I mean, you saw what that fan did or, or could have been a plant through that cold drink. It looked at, a little at, convenient, uh, and that throw looked way too perfect. To, see, see, I missed um, the yeah, actual perfect- throw portion. I just saw him get, get doused, so yeah. – um, Might have been a plan. Um, yeah, I don't know if you necessarily want to be doing that stuff 
intentionally to kind of encourage that because that's going to be, oh, no doubt. you're just going to get the copycats now doing that to MJF and maybe they want that at their shows. Um, yeah, I I'm, I'm with you, Brandon. Like, I, I don't think it was, uh, like this terrible idea to do, but yeah, I think that they, you know, in, in this modern age where angles go by so quickly and we just race through things, I think that's a story that they could have really taken their time with and it would have had, even more, it was just building and building and building, and I think that they would have been fine to have just held off for a bit and really doubled down on MJF being sincere that he was concerned about Cody and then revealing at the end that it was uh, that he was completely full of it. And also, the match itself, like, I mean, you could have gotten out of it with the with the the, the Nate Diaz like stoppage, right? With the cut to the eye, I, I thought that's the way they were going. No, it was, a, it was the, the first thing the I thought of. That's like, oh my god, they're going to do a cut stoppage at the end of this, and the and the physician is going to be Cody's next program. Which would have it would have been fine. It would have it would have shortened the match. And you, but but the uh, pro- but, but the problem is, I think you know, the stakes are such that you you want MJF to benefit from being the guy cause costing Cody the chance to ever challenge for a title again. So he had to yeah. do that. It should have been Cody diving to the floor and uh, and MJF was the one that like cracked heads with him or something and caused the cut. <laughs> wow. That would have been a great callback. Uh, what did you think of the main event? Oh, the main event was awesome. Uh, uh, I mean, they, they, uh, they pulled out all the CZW stops for that match. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially the, the, the air mattress, the uh, bar bar bed. I was wondering what the sleep number for that mattress was because uh, pretty in- that was pretty intense. I, I thought the I thought the butts weren't going to help on that one, uh, and then they evidently dragged that. They seem ve- they seem very concerned about the health of John Moxley until Kenny assured them, "We're good, we're good. Go get me some. Go get me the the spider web." <laughs> yeah, that that uh, I guess uh, PWI hated the match, but I mean whatever. I thought I thought it was I was I thought it was pretty cool. It, it, it's um, a also, it's a match that's going to get divisive opinions. It's like I understand like there's some that are just going to hate a match like that. I can, as I've said, like it's not it's not the style of wrestling that is my favorite, but I can certainly appreciate when it's done tremendously well. And it was it was done very very well tonight. Like that they they worked their asses off for 40 minutes. As Way said, a lot of creativity within it, and I, I think you have to applaud what they did and. And it worked for that crowd. the The crowd seemed pretty hot for it for most of the match. Are you shocked at how dead the crowd was early on? Uh, I, I was. I, I was. I, this I was not a typical AEW crowd. For that. Yeah, I I was very surprised that it was not as lively, um, especially for a pay per view where you would think you get more of a traveling audience for one of these shows as opposed to one of the weekly TVs. So yeah, I was surprised. And one more, one more thing. Did Combat Sports die tonight with uh, the KSI uh, Logo Paul fight? <laughs> How was it? I saw none of it. Uh, it was brutal. <laughs> I don't think CM Punk could beat them, but uh, it, it was it was it was tough to watch. I'm out of here. Thank you, Brandon. This is a KSI and Logan Paul. Who who, who did he probably fight? a lot of people watched? Who did he fight? Do I care? I, oh, I don't care. Okay. Well, you, I'll bring you all up to speed. Uh, let's go to the forum. For yeah, we, we have a bit of feedback here. So let's start off with Brendan. Uh, sorry, Braden, Brandon, Brandon from, Oshawa. from Oshawa here. AEW has a prime opportunity here. They need to give fans what they want. They need to give us 
a cuck angle between Penelope, Sabian, and Janela. Seriously, though, I love the show, but holy hell was this crowd terrible. Stage looked great. Best matches were the last two and the Bucks against Proud and Powerful. I thought the finish of Cody Jericho was brilliant and a good way to continue building for the turn. But they went with it tonight. As long as MJF gets more time to shine, I'm all right. Tully Blanchard's amazing. This guy needs a stable so bad. He's constantly a highlight for me. If he managed more people, who would you like to see him with? I don't know if you need a, 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 another stable because they already have two prominent ones right now. Um, but I'd be fine with Tully Blanchard maybe having like one or two guys. Yeah, uh, which I think fine. so. Um, of the roster, uh, who can certainly use him? I, maybe I would throw a tag team. Maybe, you know, a smaller guy to make Spears, accentuate Spears' height. Um, I'm trying to think who's even... You could pair him with a female. Yeah. Sure. Like, like the, some of these women need to get over, and well, Tully Blanchard could yeah. be a great mouthpiece for some of these people. I, I don't think Rio and Tully would work together, but mm, maybe that, not that But one. Tully finding people to go after Rio, that mm-hmm. could work. Mm-hmm. All right, we got a Brandon from California. I missed most of the first four matches because of streaming issues, but the Bucks match looked good between bouts of buffering. Cody and Jericho was probably the most important I felt. Most importance I've felt from a title match in years. Everyone did a great job making this match and title feel huge. I knew prior to the match that this would be the best time to have MJF screw Cody, but they went a totally different direction than I expected. Though it might have felt more logical if Cody abandoned MJF and started walking away before the turn. Moxley Omega was... Well, it was a hardcore match, albeit a good one. I loved Moxley having to crawl through the glass to pull himself out of the Scorpion Deathlock. Plus, we got a bunch of interesting gimmicks. A good way to end the show. It's me, Luigi. Solid 7 out of 10 show tonight. Opening tag was fun, especially with the Rock and Roll Express spot at the end, and I really enjoyed Pac versus Hangman. Cody and Jericho told a great story, but I'm very mixed on the finish. I'll let it play out before judging further. The main event was everything fans were probably expecting out of this, and a whole lot more. Personally, not my style, but seeing it on such a big stage was quite the experience. I never want to see anything like it again, but I do think it will be near the top of my match of the year list. Someone please check on Renee Young. Joey from Queens. Very good show. However, I did have my issues. The women's title match was probably the best night of Sakura and Riho's careers due to the story they share. However, however, I found it very hard to care about the match because the build just wasn't there. The Omega Moxley match was a car crash and that style of wrestling may work for other people. But I really don't want to watch two grown men find every appliance and dangerous object they can find. They can kind of legitimately try and kill each other however i can't say the match wasn't entertaining at points the show was overall a positive with some killer matches on the undercard but i would be wrong to say that this show couldn't have been better overall eight out of ten gerard writes uh, i thought this was the weakest major aew show so far though that doesn't mean it was bad i just thought a lot of the matches didn't peak as high as i expected which i think is a fair criticism Mm. the crowd was certainly a factor i tuned into the new japan san jose show as soon as full gear ended and the great crowd heat there drew an immediate contrast with the baltimore crowd like jericho and cody but i thought that they could have drawn out the mjf turn a little bit longer moxie versus omega was the best match of the show but if they had wrestled a hard-hitting match more along the lines of moxie's matches in new japan Japan with Juice and Ishii, I think it would have been even better. While still great, I thought the match still suffered from the problem you get in a lot of death matches where you spend a lot of time setting up spots. Let's go back to the phone lines, and our man Neil is on the line. What did you think of uh, Full Gear, Neil? 
Hello, guys. Um, uh, first of all, Way, you know that thing you said the other night about um, Justin Roberts' weird intonations? It's never been more weird than when he was announcing John Moxley at the, uh, in, in the final match. He cranks it on the John. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's his signature call when he does John Cena. Yeah, oh, it's bizarre. Yeah, um, and I, I do kind of remember that, but I, I don't. I don't think I remember him. You know, the G on my anyway. You should start. You should be doing it, really, oh, I Neil. Don't, I really. <laughs> I don't think that will go down particularly well. But I'm going to be the contrarian about the final match. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, it's not my style of of wrestling match. The death match. The the hardcore match, and, and it takes me, I, you know, you've got to have that willing suspension of disbelief. And one of the things that um, ruins the experience for me with those matches is that, you know, you've got a mixture of clearly real barbed wire, real cuts, and then obvious stunt glass that no one's getting cut by, and those silly bendy trash cans. And, uh, you know, that that mixture just doesn't really work for me. Plus, you've got just sort of the kind of gross element of open wounds on a guy who had a serious MRSA infection. And, mm-hmm. you know, West wrestlers seem prone to these staph infections and stuff. like that. So they get these cuts and then they're rolling around on the ground and on sweaty canvas and stuff like that. So it's also it's not. A, sorry. Yeah, it's not a very clean, sanitary. Uh, Even near match. the end, it looked like Omega had like some like. Uh, oh yeah, busted up uh, deal over his for uh, over his eyebrow, maybe from the Phoenix Splash. I don't know when that when that occurred. There was, you know, he did this double foot stomp onto the garbage can out in the uh, out in the crowd, where it's like, man, like this guy's ACL is going to tear, and you're just there's tons of danger in this match. And yeah, I think everyone was, is thinking about Moxley, the this guy who just had staph infection, and you know that's what you. You, you certainly look at all of these uh, potential issues, and they were certainly courting a lot of danger. Yeah, sure. And, and, and just one final point is that, and I know this has been mentioned before, they've done these uh, lights out unsanctioned matches. A lights out unsanctioned match sh- surely should mean that the promoter wants nothing to do with it. So why are they providing, as, as JR said, why are they providing a referee? Why are they getting entrance music? Why are they being announced by their, you know, it should be kind of, well, if you guys want to fight, then you you can have someone announce you and you can just, you know, it's it's the logic of it goes out the window. But as someone who watches Raw and you guys do for your sins, watch Raw and Smackdown every week, logic is not perhaps um, <laughs> in massive supply. But but um, for me... I, I have preferred the recent episodes of Dynamite to this pay-per-view, all told. It's just a wee bit too long, mm-hmm. and the final match is absolutely not my cup of tea. So, you know, but I'm still in a good mood and uh, still love you guys. So, Thank you, Neil. Well. Appreciate the call. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, let's get back here to the forum. And AJ says that uh, Moxley Omega was a match of the year candidate for me. Just great stuff all around. You really got the feeling that these two hated each other throughout the match, and they did some really innovative things without relying on traditional hardcore tropes and gives the show a 9 out of 10. 
Noah from Vaughn, unbelievable show. Loved everything aside from the Janela Spears match. Felt a bit long. That main event was insane. One of the best hardcore matches I've seen on such a large platform. 9 out of 10 show from me. Absolutely worth $50. With TLC coming up in a couple months, no chance they can put on a match like we saw tonight, right? Probably not. Uh, let's go down here to Roger. I felt this was an average show up until those final two matches, both of which I love for completely different reasons. Cody and Jericho was an old school Southern wrestling style brawl with some great storytelling. And I can't wait to see what happens next with Cody and MJF. Hopefully this also means more promo time for MJF, something that has been sorely missing on dynamite. I expected the last match to be an entertaining and bloody spot fest, but I did not expect it to be that crazy. This was CZW level John Moxley in both the best and worst ways. We go to Roger, who says... Oh, sorry, oh, that, that was, was the just one I you. Did. We go to Samuel from Quebec, who says, While I did enjoy most of the show, it's probably my least favorite pay-per-view AEW has done so far. I'm not sure if the crowd was not as hyped as usual or if it wasn't mic'd properly, but it was very silent at times. He goes on to list all the matches, but I'll just go to the very last ones. Cody versus Jericho. I thought this would be my match of the night, but I feel they never kicked into the next gear. It started slow and never really picked up, except for Cody killing himself on the ramp, which was amazing and frightening at the same time. The blood added drama to the match. The MJF turn was expected, but I'm looking forward to the great promos from he and Cody. I hated the main event. I was done with it halfway through when Moxley brought in the silly mouse traps, and then the glass spots were disgusting. Max Moxley's back afterwards was a nightmare to look at. Nothing else could have brought me back after that. Seven out of ten. Wow. Um, next one here is Steve from Cambridge, Ontario, who says he's new to this company and to a lot of the roster. He says, I love watching AEW, but I need more background. Good wrestling is great, but if I don't know the people doing it or know the story, why these matches are happening, I have a hard time staying invested. They can't rely on YouTube to fill in the blanks. The show should make me want to go find that stuff. So far, it feels like the exact opposite. It was a good show, but it's going to take more time for me to know this roster. By the way, the woman facing Riho looks like she's wearing a variation of the Nova Scotian flag. Just my opinion. Main <laughs> event got hard to watch at times. The mousetraps did not come off very well. Six out of ten. The Freddie Mercury of Nova Scotia. Yeah. Interesting. We got a Baruge from Phoenix who says, super dope show. I was drunk for most of it. <laughs> so these thoughts aren't going to be the best. The main event was cool for what it was, but super violent hardcore matches aren't exactly my thing. So because of the whole unsanctioned thing, they're not counting that as a win for Moxley, right? Yes. I believe that is the case. That is it. Do you think they'll use MJF's turn as a way to give Cody an F for that stipulation? Sort of like a, I never really lost. MJF made that decision for me kind of thing. No. I think the reason, they, they will be sticking to that stipulation to give weight to MJF's turn. So I don't think they were getting out of that one. At least I don't think the audience will let them get, get out of that one that no, easy. That would be pretty weak. Um, next up here, we have, uh, let's go to Matt from Pittsburgh. Being from Pittsburgh, I know a thing or two about bad crowds. This is definitely not a good one tonight, and I feel like it really held back the show, particularly the women's title match. I'm not usually a fan of plunder hardcore matches, but I found Moxley Omega to be a fun match that ran right up the boundary of what I'm willing to watch. Interestingly, this was the only match that gained my fiancé's full and undivided attention. 7 out of 10, that could have been scored higher with a more hyped crowd. Charlie from Maryland, who says he went to the show tonight. And he says, what a show it was. I took my little brother who is 13 years old and really isn't a wrestling fan like me. But boy, did he have a fun time tonight. He told me that opener was the best match of the night for the intensity. And in his words, an old guy doing some flippy shit. 
Seeing him chant, scream, and gasp at all of the action in the ring really made my night with him. Glad I could go and enjoy the show. Wow, imagine watching that. Like, bring your your little brother, your 13-year-old little brother to his first wrestling show and having that be a main event. God, he's, you know, you've opened him up to a whole new world. So you you got to show him some FMW, you know, some... Uh, 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 you know, Abdul the Butcher. Imagine all these Rick and Morty fans bought the pay-per-view tonight <laughs> and what they found. It'd be very different. Yeah. Um, uh, we go to Mark. Definitely a good show. I voted 8 out of 10. I love AEW and could go on for 10 minutes about everything I loved, so I'm going to add my opinion about something I've been critical on them for so far. Before I do, let me say that Jim Ross has his worst night since being in AEW. I thought with weekly TV, he'd be better in more of a rhythm, and I'm not saying he didn't have some good calls, but he also got lost numerous times and messed up a handful of names many times. At this point, it's unacceptable. I have to say that I think they suffer from matches going a few minutes too long in many cases. And I'd like to add, I'm a big New Japan fan, so I'm used to long matches. Numerous times, we look back and point out a match or two in their shows that could have been shortened. Bucks and Pride and Powerful went too long. I get the Bucks want to put out their New Japan big event 20-plus minute matches where they sell a ton but i feel the length is why some of the big matches kind of fall flat in the end i thought they would ride out the mjf cody turn for a few more months but apparently not no doubt this will be a top angle on wednesday that should add to an already great story i'd say dustin would seek revenge for his younger brother but his arm got busted a few weeks ago is mjf a part of the inner circle or is he a one-man army hope you guys enjoyed the show the attack from jake hager would suggest that he wouldn't be a part of the inner circle. And it's not like he really made eyes. Although at this point, if you, he did get inducted into the inner circle, they could explain that. I don't know if there's a place for him in the inner circle right now. Jericho is such a great mouthpiece and you kind of have Sammy Guevara really benefiting from being, you know, sort of the, the second yeah. in that group. Yeah. I Though just, I think Jericho and MJF, they would play off each other tremendously well, but you're right. Like Guevara is kind of in that, that role of like the young, you know, punk. MJF is good enough to lead his own stable. And, you know, maybe we'll see that in the future. But for now, seems to be a bit of a lone wolf. We go to, uh, finally, David Doofenberg, who says, I wasn't bored, but I also wasn't overly thrilled with this show. 7 out of 10 for me, but I was hoping it'd be higher. Janelle versus Spears was just missing something for me. The women of AEW I still don't enjoy at all either. Other than the smooth spinning reversals, all I remember was a bunch of stomps. All the stips in the world title match felt very WWE to me. I just screamed, Cody is losing, and somehow finds his way to another title shot. Well, we shall see. He says, the ending was very good, though. Mox versus Omega, I still don't know if I liked it. Violent to be violent. Keep up the good work. All right. And that is going to wrap up our show of AEW Full Gear. Mm -hmm. So, interesting show. Seems like uh, a lot of differing opinions about the the main event which is fine spurs on a lot of discussion mm -hmm. uh coming out of it and uh going into tv this week uh, do, do you sense that this pay-per-view you know we typically see raw benefit coming off of a pay-per-view do you see the same here that dynamite is going to get uh a bit of a pick-me-up this week well coming out of it what are the major talking points you know what are the hooks to make you want to see it it would be the aj mjf turn being number one thing. i think that's the biggest thing we saw no title changes on the show um Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. No title changes. No title changes. So really, it would just be the follow-up in the NJF turn that might be a potential draw. And I'm hoping for a big promo from NJF or Cody this week. And I think that that could see, you know, a bit of a spike. We shall see. We don't know what the effect is on uh, a pay-per-view on And maybe AEW. teasing this match beyond deal as well. Right. So, which they were introducing last week. I, I do feel they have to set up something big for that Sears Center 
episode. Mm. Like that's a that's a pretty big building. It's a historically important week in wrestling that I think they would want to make that a big show mm-hmm. at the Sears Center. So maybe setting something up in that direction. So, you know, we've gone through our first pay-per-view cycle for AEW. Um I guess what letter grade would you give this build and subsequently, you know, the whole result and what what are sort of what's the number one thing you would like to see them address for the next cycle? I think it's a bit of an incomplete just because I really want to see how this pay-per-view performs because that's going to I think largely dictate uh how successful this was. If if we're talking in the range of what the last pay-per-views did, if we're talking 100 to 125,000 buys, mm-hmm. I think I'd be a little disappointed that TNT has not uh grown that number and they I feel it was a very good promotion. I would in terms of just storytelling, like I'm I'm going like B to B plus. I I thought that they did a really good job with the key matches mm-hmm. that they fo- they really dialed in on that they felt were going to be drawing people to this pay-per-view. I would even maybe for me single that to just the main like just the title match cuz I don't know if Moxley and Omega really benefited that much from any type of real storytelling. Like we had a couple promos. I think a good countdown special that is true. Yep. But uh, beyond that, I I I would certainly love to see more efforts at promos, more efforts at, you know, real, like, concrete storylines beyond just this person wants to fight this person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, th- This will be a really interesting pay-per-view number. Um, yeah. Just to see what what's the benefit of six weeks of television uh, setting up this, this pay-per-view. So... That is going to wrap it up. So thank you to everybody for tuning in. We're going to be back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw. We'll go through all of the news coming out of the weekend and a review of a taped edition of Raw. Yes, yes. So um, we went through actually spoilers on uh, the end of Rewind to SmackDown this week on our Patreon feed. Um, looks like it'll be an interesting show. We'll see how maybe the actual show delivers compared to how, what we read. Yeah. Is this going to fall under 2 million viewers? Um... Is it going up against some pretty stiff competition? It's a big football game. Okay, what and it's Raw? a three day. Like typically, these these England shows they're taped in the afternoon and air that night. Mm. This is three days beforehand. It's but you saw the rating for SmackDown tonight, you know, or SmackDown this past Friday. SmackDown was actually up from yeah. the week prior, but again, it was like not on three days. It was several hours. Which does, does that long of a delay make a difference? Typically? We're going to find out. We don't really have too many examples of Raw being this. This tape delay. I think the major angle that everybody's talking about coming off of those tapings is sounds so ridiculous that there will be some curiosity for people to check it out. I would say if they maintain two million viewers for this show, I think that's um to win. I don't want to call that a positive because two million is like the bare minimum, but I think under these circumstances, with what they're going against, I think two million. If they stay above two million, they should be happy and. This should, this is not a Monday night that either that you're greatly going to be dissecting. But hey, SmackDown was again a taped show on Friday, and they topped the invasion number from the week prior. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a good time for SmackDown. All right, so thanks to everyone for tuning in. Postwrestling.com has you covered all weekend long. We're gonna uh, we already have some media scrums up from Starcast from Andrew Thompson, who is down there. We're gonna have more media scrums coming on sunday we've got an arn anderson one that andrew was in as well as eric bischoff so go to youtube.com slash post wrestling for those also on sunday we're going to have thunderstruck 
Thunderstruck dropping on Sunday morning with WH Park and Joey Bay reviewing Jushin Thunder Liger and Rey Mysterio from Starcade 96. Then later in the day on Sunday, WH is back again with Davis Storm to review the New Japan card from San Jose that went down uh, earlier tonight. And Monday morning, Davey is going to have a review of Evolve 139 and 140. And that is on the Up Next feed? That will be on the Up Next feed. So you can check all of that stuff out. Postwrestling.com. Way, thank you as always. And we'll speak with you all on Monday night. And thanks, Davey, for the dumplings. And thanks, Damien, for... (laughs) Nothing. Missing the show. Goodbye.